Here's Doris. She's going to be in the scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Feel free to turn there, and it'll be projected on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was, giving me in the, was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this and that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with, my, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. The word of the Lord. We're in the middle of a series called the five, the five. And really the project is a little bit of a follow-up after walk through the Bible. There are 27 books of the New Testament and I had to choose five. I cannot tell you how hard that was. It's almost like I had 27 kids and choose five that will live, you know, it wasn't easy, but we were thinking about the church, her strengths, her weaknesses, the main idea of each book, and we prayerfully chose five. Now, <clears throat> there is an invitation to home groups to, why don't you pick one of the five and journey along with us? Five home groups are going to be studying one of the five. Actually, three of the five are uh, today's book that we're going to be showcasing today. Uh, there's also an invitation for individuals. I don't know how many of you are in a devotional plan, and so you're going somewhere every day. If you're not, maybe you consider choosing one of the five. And for this season of time, uh, you can read it, you can study it, you can memorize parts of it, and you can meditate on it. And the goal is to enjoy God's word. So I think it's a great invitation. Uh, maybe for those of you uh, for this season, want to go ahead and take that invitation, right? Okay, well, let's start talking about 2 Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians is Paul's most personal, vulnerable book. I, I, I want you to know why we chose it. We chose it because if you just, will you guys just look around the room? What you're seeing, at least in the estimation of our leaders, is a good community. I actually think community is one of our strengths. But with every strength, there is something called a shadow side. And this book, like none other in the scriptures, really hits at that shadow side. It's one of Paul's most vulnerable books. And here's the main theme. I'm just going to tell you about the main theme and how it connects. The main theme is this. There were a bunch of critics in this church. And they uh, had some nasty things to say about Paul. And the, the message that they were sharing is, look, this guy, Paul, can't possibly be an apostle. He's suffered way too much. He doesn't have that prosperity glow, you know. He suffered way too much. And Paul, Paul's defense, this whole book is a personal defense. And really the main idea is, I am an apostle. Not despite the suffering, like, please try to overlook that blemish, but actually through it. And in this book he opens up this theme of vulnerability. And it's just amazing 
And that's the issue that we want to talk about this morning. Vulnerability. Let me hear you guys say vulnerability. All right, now here's the thing. Uh, Before we dive into the text and kind of unpack it, I actually wanted to give you something I'm calling a vulnerability test. All right, I made it up. I think it's pretty good. I ran it by two of my consultants. They liked it. And so I'm calling this test, So You Think You're Vulnerable. Huh? That's the test. Okay, so I want you guys just to imagine with me. There's going to be two questions. The two questions are, what would you do in this case? Okay, you guys ready? I'm looking in this section of the church for a reason. Okay, you, after church or something, you get a Snapchat. The rest of the room is like, what's a Snapchat? I don't know what it is, actually. You know, I, I've heard of it in theory. I have a dumb phone. It's not smart enough to get Snapchat. Otherwise, I'd be Snapchatting with you. I don't, but apparently a message comes and then it disappears in five seconds. Okay, now for the rest of the room, okay, you're not Snapchatting. You're on Facebook. And you get a message. And you guys hear a message from a friend, a good friend. And the friend is celebrating some kind of success. Maybe they're lucky in love, like, we DTR'd and she said yes. And, or, 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 or maybe uh, you got a promotion. It's success and achievement. It's some kind of success. This friend is happy. They're spreading the news. You're reading this, and, and your response is, oh, I'm happy for them. And then you start to think about, like, what you have and the success you have in your area, and suddenly you don't feel very happy, and you feel like it's kind of small, and you are feeling something. What is this I'm feeling? I'm feeling jealous. I'm actually not that happy for them. And then you're guilty because you're like, oh, I'm such a horrible friend. I'm not actually happy for their success. You guys with me so far? Okay, now it gets even more interesting. Then later on the day, you just happen to be having coffee with a good friend that you trust. Do you share about how you were feeling? Yes or no? Turn to someone next to you and either nod or shake your head. Just be honest. And, and they will give you feedback if they know you well. Like, no, not you. You know, you go, feel free to do that. I think Jesse would. I think Doris would. I think Mark would. All right. Second scenario. Second scenario. Okay. Second scenario. Okay. There's only two questions in this test. If you get one wrong, you can nap, you know. Uh, Okay. Second scenario. Yesterday. Yesterday. You got into a fight with your spouse or your roommate or your kids. Imagine that. It was a nasty one. In fact, you're mostly at fault. At least 51% is your fault. But by the grace of God, you talked about it, you worked it out, and you're in a better place now. But there's still some of the fumes, right? Well, it just so happens that tonight is your home group, small group, Bible study night. And so you assemble together, you study the scripture, and then the facilitator says, let's go around the room and let's share prayer requests. Do you spill the beans? Yes or no? Yes or no? Do I trust the group? Yeah, there are good people in the group. I'm in the group. No, you wouldn't share because I'm going to broadcast in front of everybody. No. Um, Turn to someone next to you and share your honest response, and they can give you feedback. Like, I don't know if you would. I would. We did this. Go ahead.
All right, we got some good conversation. Now, now. Okay, I, I, I admit, I, I made up this test. I don't know if you like my test. I don't know if it's an accurate gauge, but let's just say it is an accurate gauge. How many of you failed the test? You, you wouldn't share on both occasions or one of the occasions. Raise your hand. Failed. Failed. Okay, half of us. Now, how many of you are not raising your hands because you lack vulnerability, which means you failed the test? Ah, I got you on that one. Listen, this is, this is a little bit embarrassing. I made up the test. I'm like, I make, I'm like, Raina, give me some scenarios that are real. And we, we, I made it up. I'm like, this is a good test. I think it's an accurate measure. I think people can relate. And then suddenly I realized I would fail the test. That's my honest confession. I probably wouldn't share in both situations. Like there's a 51% chance or more that I would not share. I'm just being honest. And I started to ask myself, like, why is that? Why would I not be honest? Because I like to think of myself as a really vulnerable, honest, open, transparent, excellent pastor. And then it dawned on me. If it was happy, I'd be happy to share it. If it were sad, I would still share it. But if it were shameful, if it would make me look bad, I probably wouldn't share it. Now, I, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I've, I've, I know you guys, I love you guys. I'm thinking most of the people in the room are probably like me. Because we have a certain perception of weakness. And we think weakness is something to be ashamed about. Weakness is something you hide. It's embarrassing. People will think badly of you. So don't, don't show it. No, I, I don't know when we've done this, but can I just ask you, have you ever thought, like, what's going to happen if we keep on not sharing? If we're, like, hiding behind a mask, presenting an image that's not true, what is going to happen to us? What's at stake? Now, I know it's a big deal. We don't want people to think bad of us, but, but is, is there more to life? Is there a greater purpose than just not looking bad in life? Are we missing something great if we refuse to be vulnerable? That's a good question, right? I actually want you guys to think about this. I actually think that we are missing out on something great. Every time there's an opportunity where we should share, be real, maybe even talk about things that are shameful, and we say, no, going to put a happy front, going to put a mask, not going to share it. I think that we actually miss out. Now, let me give you one example. Let me give you one example. How many of you guys have ever been in like a group? Maybe it's a home group. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe at first the sharing is superficial, but then someone breaks the ice. Something tragic is happening. They open up. There's tears. There's real sharing. And you see the group just transform before your eyes. People are rallying around the person. I see Ped's nodding. Like, you've, you've been part of that experience. They're, they're sharing. And then all of a sudden, the vulnerability for everyone in the group has just doubled. You know, people are going to meet that standard. And then you experience this realness of community. And then you have this feeling like this is what community is all about. This is real community. And I know you guys have experienced that. 
I'll just say quickly, in, in my home group, uh, a lot of us are going through the same life stage. Which is we have little kids, and our marriages are stressed, work is stressed, everything's stressed, and we're wondering together, why in the world did we have kids? You know, it's, we're kind of in that life stage, right? And so I remember we broke up the, the men, the women, the, the women were sharing, and the men were pretty deep, but the women were even deeper. And they were sharing, and there was tears, and then another person shared, and there was tears, and, there was, and then people were comforting each other, and, they, and, and there was this amazing love fest. And people were just supporting one another in such an amazing way. Some of the women are like, how do you know that happened, Andrew? I have, I have spies. <laughs> they talk. They didn't tell me what you said, but they did talk about the quality of the sharing. Now, I don't know if, if you guys know this, but Ichan, uh, An's uh, spouse, the first time she visited was during those times. And in the car ride home, she's like, I want to be a part of that group. That's a real community. I want to be a part of that. I'm paraphrasing. When you see community like that, you're like, that is what community is all about. I want that. And every time there's an opportunity to be real and we hide away, we are missing that opportunity to develop real community. You guys have real community? Well, it does start with people taking off the mask and saying, I'm going to be real. Now, listen, in the context of 2 Corinthians, I actually think there is more at stake when we choose not to be vulnerable. There is more at stake than just real community, although we are talking about real community. When we choose not to be vulnerable, what's at stake is showcasing the glory of God. That is what's at stake. Now, let me just remind you, why are we even here? Why do we even exist? Is it not to showcase the glory of God? That's what our lives are all about. But when we refuse to be appropriately vulnerable, we are shutting something down instead of opening something out. And I think Paul actually explains this dynamic best in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's kind of unpack that. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, with these surpassing revelations. Now, let me explain what that is. There was one day, I imagine Paul was, was praying or maybe he was worshiping, and he had this experience. I think it was a vision, or he doesn't even know if he was out of the body or in the body when he had it. But he was taken to a glorious, amazing place. He was taken to heaven. And he was given a front row seat on things that he was, at this time of writing, forbidden to tell. He's like, I, I swore not to actually divulge what I saw when I was up there. And then he says, to keep me from becoming conceited by the surpassing revelations, there was a what in his side? A thorn twisting in his side. Now, and then he says, a messenger of Satan to keep me from becoming conceited. He repeats twice, to keep me from becoming conceited. What do you guys think that thorn was? Anyone have any ideas? What I'd like you to do actually now is, can you just turn to a neighbor and just share your best theory? I'm not going to give you much time, like 20 seconds. Just have one person share. What do you think that thorn was? Go ahead and share. Like 10 more seconds. Okay, let's be brave and honest. How many of you like, I don't know, <laughs> right? Oh, now we see more people being vulnerable. That's good. Um, 
there is this section in Galatians where Paul is like, look at what large letters I am writing to you. So people think, was that kind of the thorn twisting in the flesh? Like he was losing his vision or he had really bad handwriting. It's something, right? Other people think it was uh, setbacks in ministry. My friend proposes that theory because I think he's had setbacks in ministry. Or maybe it was something else. Maybe it was a disposition towards sin. We don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. But I'm actually glad. And I'm glad because then I can stand up here and say, it's metaphorical. What is your thorn in the flesh? Everyone's got a thorn in the flesh. What is your thorn in the flesh? Is it a relationship? Is it a physical handicap? Is it a weakness of yours? Is it a disposition towards sin? Is it a struggle? Is it indifference towards God? What is your thorn in the flesh? Okay, let's continue. Now, Paul was a dude who was used to getting his prayers answered. He would pray, God would answer. He prayed three times. That's a big deal for Paul. Three times for the same thing. And he was asking for grace A, which is, Lord, this thorn in my side, would you please take it away? But instead, God gave him something better, grace B. And the explanation for how it is better, grace B, is this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, can you repeat that one with me? That is actually our memory verse of the day. That's a powerful, powerful verse. Can you repeat that with me? Starting with my grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Notice it says made perfect which makes you kind of wonder, is there a way uh, where the power is released that's less perfect? Anyways, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, let me tell you how I think. Um, I've known this verse for a long time. I love this verse. I quote this verse often. And it just dawned on me last week, there was a geeky side that kind of came out of me. And I realized, you know, you can actually put this into like an equation. I was thinking math. Is it okay if we get kind of geeky for a while? Or any of you like, I love geeky. Are any of you like that? Let's do that. I, I need uh, uh, five volunteers. Can I have the, the, the worship leader ladies come up? And we're going to put this into an equation. Okay, Doris, can you be right here? Maybe you want to be on the steps, and then, and then if you guys can all line up to, yeah, that works too. Okay. <clears throat> it kind of looks like this. Paul says, the, the word of the Lord is, um, my power is made perfect in weakness. So here we have your weakness. Plus, I have the equals. And can you also, Andrea, hold this? Oh, yeah, you guys both share it. That's great. Okay, here we go. So this is the equation that Paul is actually saying. This is your life equation. If you were a believer, it works like this. Your weakness plus God's strength equals, da-da-da, awesome. Okay, you guys like that? 
Okay, this is what Paul is basically saying. Your weakness is the window. It's the doorway. It's the invitation to get on your knees and say, God, would you help me? God comes through. And then you have something called an awesome story to tell. And clearly it's not you. It's all God. And you know something? Your life has just become really interesting because you have the fingerprints of the supernatural God working in your life. This is the equation for God's power to be made perfect in your life. Now, what do you honestly think about that? Do you guys like this? Do you guys like this equation? Some of you like it. Some of you honestly are like, I don't really like it. Why? Because it starts with the weakness. I'm not crazy about weakness. Actually, all my life, I've been taught, you got to hide the weakness. What if we said, you know, I got it here. I'm not really a big fan of this equation. I don't really like to lead with weakness. You know what I would rather do? Can we do this? Can we have it be my strength plus God's strength equals it's all good? How many of you guys like this equation? How Come on, come on. How many of you like this equation? I know you like this equation. I like this equation. And we see this equation happen. Like, Like Marty is here and his strength is worship leading and God's glory is seen through his worship leading. I like this. But there is a problem. You know, in the verse where it says uh, God's power is made perfect, that means there is a way to do it where it's less than perfect, right? Uh, I think this way is less than perfect. Why? Because this is honestly what happens like all the time. My strength, I'm leading with my strength. You know, it's just like, I got this. You're at work. I got this. You're at school. I got this. I can do this. I've done this before. No problem. Plus, I don't need God, right? I'm not really praying. I'm not really desperate. I got this. Equals my pride. Now, let's be honest. Doesn't this equation actually happen for most of our lives? Like, how many times are we not relying on God? How many times are we self-sufficient? Now, here's the thing. If this is your life equation, it's less than perfect. Do you know why? Because really, it's a story about you. You're the hero of your own story. That's so boring. How many of you guys love to hear other people brag about themselves? No one likes that, you know? Oh, can you tell a story where you're the hero? I love that one, you know? People, is that, is that what you want your life to be? I love to tell, my life is about my own heroism and how I saved everything. And look at how awesome I am. And, and, and Paul actually said the thorn was given to him so that he would not be what? Conceited, prideful. Oh my gosh, this equation a lot of times is less than perfect because it's leading towards my my own pride. There's a problem there. No, God's equation for us is, could you do the first one? Your weakness. You're down on your knees. God, you gotta come through. God, I'm looking for you to come through. God's strength equals awesome. Now, let me also say this. You guys, isn't this the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not anything new. I I hope no one's like, wow, I've never seen that before. Isn't this not the gospel of Jesus Christ? Our sin, our moral bankruptcy, God's rescue through Jesus on the cross equals fellowship with God that starts now and, and culminates through eternity. Is that not the gospel? Is that not the recipe and the equation for our lives? It's we want to see the awesome, amazing glory of God. You guys should nod. And where does it all start? 
What does it mean embracing? It means embracing your weakness. But there's some shame in that. Yeah, I know. And God is glorified. Yeah, but I've been taught all my life to hide it. Yeah, well, the gospel changes things. Jesus changes things, doesn't he? Can we give our ladies a a round of applause? Thank you so much. Thank you so much for holding up the life equation. Let me say this. uh, The next verse. So Paul is putting this together. Okay, weakness. My weakness is the invitation for God's strength. It's the invitation to make God's power seen and made perfect. Then Paul's all like, well, then that changes everything. In that case, therefore, I will all the more gladly, what's the next word? Boast. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Now, here's where we stop and go, really? Really? I mean, it's one thing to know the equation and go, okay, guys, I'm so convicted. I'm going to not hide it. And if people ask me about it, then I'll share it. But that's not boasting. Paul's like, no, I'm going to be actually proactive in showing people my weakness. I don't want them to misinterpret me. I don't want them to misinterpret the gospel. It starts with my weakness. I'm going to boast about it. Now, did Paul really do this? He really did this. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, Paul shares what his harshest critic has been saying about him. I don't know if you've read 2 Corinthians 10.10. Now, it's interesting because I, I, I hang out in circles where they idolize the Apostle Paul. And I remember one pastor going, man, if Paul were here preaching, he would just light up the place. And I'm thinking, have you read 2 Corinthians? Have you read 2 Corinthians? That is not true. That is not true. Now, this is what Paul does in Corinthians 10.10. I want you guys to imagine uh, a really mean thing that someone who didn't like you said about you. It's probably true, but you didn't like it, okay? Now I want you to imagine going on Facebook and broadcasting that to the entire world. How many of you would do that? I don't know if anyone would do that. Can I just tell you that Paul did that? This letter was read to the entire Christian world. And right there in 2 Corinthians 10.10, he is revealing what his harshest critic has said about him. His letters are weighty and strong. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. How would you, what's the modern telling of that? Man, that guy is boring. That guy is a bad speaker. That guy just puts me to sleep. Paul? Yeah, Paul. Now, why does Paul put this in the middle of his letter for everyone to read? Imagine, I mean, his life, he's the herald of God. His life is talking. And right in his talking, his speech is of no account. Why would Paul put that in the letter? You know why? It's because of the life equation. And the life equation looks like this. Bad speaker plus God's strength equals one-third of the New Testament written and multiple churches flourishing. Right? People look at that. That's Paul's fruit. One-third of the New Testament he wrote. Multiple churches flourishing. No one's going to look at that. And look at Paul and Corinthians 10.10 10 and go, oh, yeah, that was because Paul is such a great speaker. No, they're going to look at that and go, wow, the glory of God working through limitations in a human being, right? You guys, this changes everything, does it not? The gospel changes everything. This is my word to you in terms of application. You guys, follow Paul's example. Tell stories where you are small. And Christ 
is tall. You guys like that? Oh, let me put it this way. Be real. When you're with your friends, be real. When you're in a home group, small group, be real. And as you are real, you will showcase a real savior. But you got to open up. You got to take off the mask. You got to take some risks. You got to disclose. But in your weakness, God's power is made perfect. So let's tell stories when we are small and Christ is tall. Doris is going to tell a story where she is small and Christ is tall. Uh, Doris is going to talk about her journey in embracing weakness. It hasn't been an easy journey. And some of the things that God has taught her along the way. Here's Doris. Let's give her a hand. Okay, so, you know, I have a testimony, and I've um, shared it at other places, and I, I came to Andrew, and I said, you know, can I come and talk about my kidneys, you know, because, and there's a whole story behind that, because I really didn't want to, but I feel like this is what God is teaching me, um, and as he and I were on the phone this week, um, and he was sharing about what uh, he was teaching on, and what I had been um, what my story was all about. We said, it's the same message. Uh, So God has been orchestrating this. It wasn't that I've just made up my story to fit his. No, this is just really happening with me. Um, So thank you for letting me come share with you. Um, I I feel like I need to give you some context Um, first. I was diagnosed with kidney disease two years ago. Last year, I was put on the kidney um, transplant wait list, and this year, I started dialysis. So uh, CKD, chronic kidney disease, is a very misleading disease because I know that I look really normal. I feel good. Um, There was a time when I was feeling pretty sick, but I'm doing good now. Um, But, you know, really, if you came, you would not know that I was sick. Uh, but my, my body is really just kind of hanging on. My kidneys, they're back here, um, they're functioning at 4%, and I get regular injections. I take about 15 different medications every day, and every night I hook myself up to a dialysis machine, and for eight and a half hours it runs, and it removes toxins from my body. Um, and so that's how... I stay alive, uh, all the while I'm looking for a kidney donor. So, um, so I'm here. And like I said, you know, I, it was really hard to come here. I did not want to come here. I didn't want to go anywhere. And I didn't want, not want to have to talk about my kidneys. Um, but I think I'm starting to see that God is teaching me about just getting out there and being open about my needs, you know, not just about the kidneys, but just my life to kind of take this, take on this posture of receiving, which is just so uncomfortable. You know, I, um, it took me losing my sixth donor. I had six people who kind of went through the testing process, sixth donor come, um, and just not make it through the process. Um, before I realized, okay, God, you know, before that, I just kind of thought, Enough people know the prayer team at church, some friends and families. That's good enough, you know. But I felt like God was saying, you you kind of need to keep getting out there. And I said, no. And so it took losing, you know, that many donors for me to finally said, okay, let me call Andrew. Let me call, you know, other people. And so um, I've been sharing at different places, and I have more places to share. And so it's kind of, it's hard, 
But I'm finding that when you kind of step forward and do what God is clearly telling you to do, there's a new freedom. There's um, uh, good things that are happening. And yes, people are blessing me. People are encouraging me. But I'm finding that God is surprising me in other ways. So uh, there's really kind of two big lessons I wanted to share uh, with you today. The one is to let my community in. Um, to open myself even more than what I was doing and to keep on doing that, uh, which is hard because I think we, we live in a culture that prides ourselves um, on being self-sufficient and, uh, and I think it's so ingrained in our Asian culture especially. We never want to impose on people, right? Um, I wrote about that in my, my blog, um, so please read my blog. Um, and, and I talked about that and somebody came up to me after and said, you know, I, I read your website and... I don't think it's just Asians that don't want to impose on people. I really think it's just everybody. All cultures are like that. Um, and I just kind of nodded. And I, yeah. And I thought, no, I think for Asians it's way more so. And then I realized later I didn't tell her because I didn't want to impose my opinion on her, you know, because that would have sounded like I was disagreeing with her and I don't want to come off sounding like I think she's wrong, you know. I don't like making people feel uncomfortable. Um, and here I was... Really, I have this really huge ask. I have this really huge need, and I don't like imposing, but this is about as imposing as you can be. Um, but God says, this is at the core of my relationship with you. This is at the core of the gospel message. Um, God sent Jesus to save us, but really only those of us who admit we need the help, only those of us who understand we can't fix ourselves. We can't earn our way into salvation. Um, so so we, uh, we need our community, and we need God. We need something outside of ourselves. Um, so uh, God was saying also that crises, it's not just about my kidneys, crises have a way of magnifying whatever other issues you've got going on. So whatever stresses you have, when stresses enter your life, you're going to be challenged emotionally, mentally, relationally, that's a hard one. Marty and I are seeing a therapist, and uh, and I realize I probably just made some of you a little bit uncomfortable because we don't talk about that, especially in the Asian church. Um, and he knows, he knows that I'm sharing this, so don't go up to him and say, I can't believe she said that out loud. Um, but uh, yeah, we are, and it's been really good. And when we first shared our news with, with our church, you know, our pastor said, you know, Marty and Doris, it would be a really good idea if you guys go see couples counseling. Um, and it wasn't that she saw anything in particular that raised concern, um, but I think she just understands this is the condition of the human heart. Um, when things come in, we're, we're going to need help to to navigate our way through what was going to be a really stressful season in our life and how do we do that in a way that's healthy and and in a way that keeps us together and keeps us growing um so it's been good and as i have been sharing with people that yeah we're going through this stuff the kidneys the emotional stuff the all this other stuff that comes along with it it's been good because other people have shared with me their stories of crises um if you're not going through a crisis, somebody near you is, it's just all over. And so there's a freedom when we come with, you know, what we have. I know it's uncomfortable, but God has just been so good. So, yes, learning to let my community in. Because I think so much of what God wants to teach us happens in the context of community. And it's just kind of, we just miss out if, if we don't kind of open ourselves up to that. Um, I had this picture of, uh, you know, whenever my family 
and my extended family, especially my brother and the kids, and we get together with my mom. My mom always pays. Um, but there was a time, you know, when we said, Mom, it's okay, let us pay now. You know, we're grown kids now. It's our turn to take care of you. And we kept pushing that because I felt like that was being the good daughter. And then one day she just shot back and she said, Stop it. I want to treat you guys, you know? And I just feel like you guys... I just want you guys to say, yay, thank you, Papa is treating, and just to enjoy it. And then I realized she was actually kind of annoyed that we weren't accepting this gift from her. And I think God is so much like that. God uh, really just wants to give us, but we feel like, God, we have the gift of salvation. Thank you. But the rest of our life, we just feel like we have to fix ourselves. And whenever we have problems or we're not, or we have trouble forgiving someone or we have trouble with depression we just got to get it together because those people look like they are and so we need to do it to get ourselves together but god is saying eternal life starts now it's not just when you die and go to heaven eternal life starts now i have a relationship with you now and i want to give to you now i have like lots of blessings you know it's not just giving you what you need it's giving you all the good stuff too for you to live a life that's full of joy and have my supernatural peace and to have purpose all that i want to give you but you just kind of have to get into this posture of being able to receive um so god is teaching me to do that it's been um you know, it took me a little while to kind of get here, uh, but it's been good. So, and I'm really just kind of enjoying what God is doing. Um, so letting my community in. The second thing I wanted to share was, um, there's this theme that keeps on playing over and over in my life this past two years. And it's the idea that it's never the end of the story. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, if you've been following my blog, you know that the past two years have been like a constant string of good news and bad news and good and bad. And I have a donor. I lost my donor. And then I have, um, at one point, I had lesions on my kidneys. And then a second ultrasound, they're bigger. And so more tests than the MRI. And no, no, they're fine. They're harmless. Um, one of the worst was being told that I had a genetic form of the disease and that there was a good possibility that my kids had CKD as well. And so that was really hard. Um, so I was told, go talk to the pediatricians. They need to watch out for this. Go get them life insurance. And months down the line, I got a second opinion. And no, I don't have that form of disease. So it was just like constantly one thing after another. And I remember being hit with some bad news one day. And, um, and I found myself thinking, it's okay. It's not the end of the story because anything can happen. So just just rest in God and ride through this. Uh, and so I, I just felt like I was learning to let go of, of the circumstances and realizing that circumstances really did not need to have the power that I was giving it. Um, the flip side, of course, is also when things are good, I can celebrate, but then I thought, yeah, but you know what? Anything can happen, so don't celebrate too long. And it wasn't that I was being cynical. It wasn't that I was starting to kind of become numb to it all. I think I was just starting to realize circumstances really aren't that relevant. At the end of the day, God is the only thing that doesn't change, and he was starting to show me that circumstances never define how good God is. Whether things are good, whether things are bad, they're never an indication of how good God is. He's just good all the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I lost my first donor, 
that was really hard because we had gone so far in the um, in the testing process and everything was was going really well and he had been praying about this decision he his his um, church had been praying for him and for me and and uh, we thought this was where God God was answering all those prayers and then at the eleventh hour it just all fell apart and I thought I, I was just like in shock I just like how you know in shock but also confused because I felt like how is it that God leads you down this road and then he does something really different like well so was this not God was I praying for nothing does he really is he even really there and what you know so it was just kind of a trying time um and uh, and so that had just happened and I came home uh one day about two days after that had all happened and I got a card in the mail, and it says, don't be discouraged. We're praying for you. God is good. And I thought, how did she know? She, we, she didn't know, you know? It was a God thing. God knew exactly what I needed to hear, when I needed to hear it. Um, and so that was God showing up when I needed it. Five months later, the exact same thing happened, and I just, I just couldn't believe my luck. I just thought, you know, again, she had, this was a decision bathed in prayer, and uh, this person was um, healthy, and, and everything, all the doors were opening, and at the 11th and a half hour, even, I mean, we had gone as far as, as um, setting a transplant date, um, and talking to the surgeon, and then it just all fell apart again, and I thought, God, this can't, I what are you doing, you know, and uh, again, being very discouraged and shocked, and by this time, I was feeling really um, weary, you know, emotionally tired, because it wasn't just all the donors coming and going, it was all the ultrasounds and the MRIs and the constant blood draws, and I'm tired of being poked by a needle, um, and I, at that point, I think the hardest part was feeling like, now what? I was lucky. Most people are lucky to get one living donor. I got two, and I lost them both, and I have no one, you know, in the wings. So now what? Um, and then I came home, and, and uh, two days later, I, I got a voicemail on my phone, and it was someone that I didn't know that well, uh, but someone who said, you know, Doris, I heard you had kidney disease. I don't know if you still need a donor, but I want to get tested. So I thought... This was God showing up again. And, you know, it didn't change, you know, everything. And not that circumstances, you know, was, was uh, didn't change a whole lot. But I, I knew that God was meeting me just when I needed and to remind me that I promised you I would not forsake you. I would not abandon you. You are not forgotten. So hang on to that, and I will be there. I know you guys have been praying. I know that um, you feel like, well, God, why don't you just answer? Because that's what you said, you know, in the Bible, that you would come and meet all our needs, and you're not doing that. But I think he's saying, in my time, and I know... You know, I don't know if he will provide a donor, but there's a sense of God saying, there are blessings that you will miss out on if I answered your prayer the way you wanted to the first time. There are other things that I have yet to show you. And so he has. I'm definitely growing in faith. Um, I've, I'm, I feel like I'm more connected with people now because as I share my story, other people are sharing their story, and there's lots of stories out there. I know I'm not the only one. Um, and, and so all that has just been so good. I'm learning to let go of circumstances and learning to let go, like all those things, my insecurities and the things that 
really don't even worry about them. Um, you know, hang on to the important things. Friday, I just went to my high school reunion, my 30th high school reunion. So, um, and, and that was really fun. But, you know, I didn't want to go. And I, and I had not been to any of my reunions. And you know why? It was because I always felt like I had nothing to show. I always felt, I always felt kind of inadequate that I was going to show up and people were going to have all their amazing careers and that I really felt like I didn't accomplish a whole life, a whole lot. But I think because I was in this season of life where God was teaching me to let go of those insecurities, let go of those inadequacies, and to say, God, this is who I am. And, you know, as I'm doing that, there's a whole new freedom. And I had such a good time. I was like, we should have another reunion, you know. I was just so happy to see everybody. And and I'm finding that, you know, when, when I just kind of tell people, and I didn't go to tell people about this, but it was just a great time connecting with people. And, um, and it was just good to hear about everybody else, too. Um, so, yes, I'm learning. It's not the end of the story. God is always there, and God will always, you know, watch over me. Um, a couple of uh, months ago, a friend texted me um, after, on a Sunday night, and she said, you know, today at church service, the pastor gave, like, this really amazing benediction. At the end, he said, may the God who defends you on all sides go with you. And I thought this was so good because, you know, God was working um, in the people around me to just really come and support me. But God was doing something here, too. He was giving me a kind of a peace that really surpasses all understanding, like it says in Philippians. Um, and so I do. I do have a God who is defending me from discouragement, and he's defending me from hopelessness. And it's not all the time. You know, usually in the middle of the night when I kind of wake up sometimes, I think, and I start thinking Thinking can be really dangerous, and that that gets a little bit hard for me. But I kind of keep coming back to this, and I kind of look at my life, and I realize, you know what? When I lost my first donor, that was hard. When I lost my second donor, that was hard. When I uh, two weeks ago, I just lost my sixth donor, and I'm okay. I felt like God, you're you're making that faith muscle stronger. It's getting stronger, and I have this peace that makes no sense, you know. But I'll take it. And I have this joy that is his strength. So, um, and I'm learning to get com connected to the community. So um, God's been good. So, no, I don't know what my future looks like um, right now, but I think God's doing some good things. So thanks for letting me come share with you. I'm going to try to, to wrap this up. Doris was sharing with us her journey of embracing weakness and letting her community in. I just want to ask you guys, where are you in that very same journey? I wanted to end with a challenge. Uh, here, here's a challenge for those of you who will accept this challenge. What about this week? you take one appropriate step towards letting your community in, towards greater vulnerability. I don't know, with, with maybe a friend, with a home group, with a loved one, but you take one step forward towards letting community in, being real. So I, I challenge you this week to share one story where you are small and Christ is tall. One story. Uh, towards 
developing this real community. Um, and we can do it. Why? Because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So that's the challenge I'm sending you before you guys. Uh, take one step to tell one story where you are small and Christ is tall. So you can give God glory by being real, allowing others to see a real Savior. Would you stand as I, I close our time of prayer? Can you guys uh, lift a hand towards Doris, just up front, because she's coming up front. We're going to pray for her, for the Lou family, and then we're going to continue to worship the Lord. Lord, we want to pray for Doris. And I thank you that you are the good shepherd. You know what we're going to ask for even before we ask for it. You are aware of all of our needs. We, we pray for something very practical, very concrete. We pray that you would provide Doris with a new kidney. I pray that you would call someone to donate one of their kidneys, someone with a very big heart. In this place of desperation, we lean upon our Savior and we ask you for help. And Lord, we hold on to your promise that you are working all things, even the terrible things, even the desperate things, for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. And that certainly is um, Marty and Doris. Thank you for all the God sightings along the way. And I thank you for this um, opportunity to give you glory and to watch you provide. We trust you. And Lord, I also want to pray for our church as we continue to grow in doing what Doris just did. Help us to be more real so we can showcase the reality of a risen Savior. Our trust is in you, as always. In Jesus' name we pray.